0: We'll be sure to say an extra prayer for the children's church workers. And again, a special thank you to Amy Greening, who leads that for us, and all of the workers who put so much time and effort into that very important ministry in our church. And one of the things that we have to give them extra credit for is that they miss out on the sermon when they're down there with, with the children, but they're providing a sermon for the children. And it's a huge ministry in our church. And I'm going to put in another plug to say that we've got the kids. Amy needs some more, some more uh, volunteers. The, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So if you have a, a heart to help these children get to know the Savior in a personal way, talk to Amy. She would love to hear from you and have more volunteers. So wonderful to be here together with you today, celebrating our risen Savior. And I just invite you to bow with me once more and ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, you have laid a word on my heart for today. And I pray now that you, by your Holy Spirit, would simply empower me to share it boldly as you want me to. I pray as well that you will open the hearts of everyone who's here to receive exactly what you have for them. Lord, I I don't know the circumstances or the inner thoughts, the struggles, the fears that people brought here with them this morning, but you do. You know the situations entirely, and so I pray that you would minister exactly where each person needs to hear from you today. And so take these words as meager as they are, Lord, I pray that you would use them for your glory. In your name I pray, amen. There is an Arab fable of a Baghdad merchant who once asked his servants to run an errand to the marketplace. Arriving at the marketplace, the servant rounded a corner and saw before him Lady Death. Well, she terrified him so much that he returned with haste to his master. I am terrified, cried the servant. I want to take your fastest horse and escape Lady Death by fleeing to Samarra. Well, the compassionate master granted his frightened servant's request and then watched his servant gallop away in the direction of the city of Samara. Later on that afternoon, the merchant himself visited the marketplace and he too came around the corner and met Lady Death. So, at first taken aback, he decided he'd get to the bottom of his servant's fear and so he asked her, Why did you startle my servant so if you did not mean to take him? To which Lady Death replied, Well, frankly, it was I who was startled. I didn't expect to see your servant in Baghdad today because I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. <laughs> you see, try as we might, we cannot escape Lady Death. It is one appointment that all of us must keep. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, It is appointed for man to die once. Death comes to us all. Now, I want you this morning to think of this big, scary word, death, that I'm holding up for you here. I want you to think about this, and today we're going to use a little object lesson. and I'm gonna th- We're going to think of death as a doorway. And here on the stage, we have this doorway, and through this doorway is death. Now, many men have passed through the doorway of death, many women As well as many boys and girls, all ages, death is no respecter of persons, position, status, or age. Many people have passed through that doorway of death. There are no windows on the door, so we can't see what's on the other side. It's also a one-way door, so those who go through it cannot come back out. All of us know people who have passed through this door, but as of yet, none of us have received postcards in the mail showing us what's on the other side or what our departed friends are experiencing. And so for us, death remains a mystery. Now, there are many things we can do with this doorway of death. We can dress it up with flowers and streamers, or we can leave it bare and grim. We can fixate upon it, or we can ignore it. We can argue about what's on the other side, or we can pretend it's not there at all. But the one thing, the one thing we cannot do with the doorway of death is get rid of it. It is always there. It is always there. We cannot rid ourselves of it. And so what do we do with this doorway of death? How can we solve this great dilemma? Now, in the Bible, we are told that, of course, God has a way to deal with this problem of death. And so, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, believe it or not, they were there with no doorway of death looming over them. They were put there by God with a mandate to go on and on and on indefinitely, life without end. If you'll recall the great mandate in Genesis, it was simply that you be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so they were to have dominion over all things, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all things they were to have dominion over it. Now, in my thinking, I always just took it for granted that it would be Adam and Eve's many descendants who would ultimately fulfill this great mandate to have dominion over all the earth. But did you ever pause to consider that it was, in fact, Adam and Eve themselves who God expected to live long enough to live out this mandate? That, in fact, the 50th and 100th generation of Adam and Eve's descendants would actually be able to go back to great-great-great-granddaddy Adam and great-great-great-grandma Eve and know them personally. Know what it was like back in the garden in the very beginning when it was just them. You see, they were intended to live forever. A massive assignment, but with nothing but time on their hands, they would be able to fulfill it with no hurry whatsoever. Consider as well that not one relationship would ever be broken by death. No tearful farewells, no parting of parent and child, husband and wife, brother or sister. That is the greatest thing about death that we fear. It's not necessarily the pain of death or or our own death, but it is the parting, the separation of death, for it takes our loved ones from us. Of course, we know that this didn't happen because death entered the world as a consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. And so God pronounced upon them the curse. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so since that day, death has been mankind's greatest enemy. It snatches our loved ones from us. We feel the pain of separation. And we know that one day, yes, one day, every last one of us will have to go through this doorway. As Psalm 90 verse 10 so accurately describes our condition. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass away and we fly away. The ancient philosopher Aristotle called death the thing to be feared most because it appears to be the end of everything. But what if death isn't the end of everything? Now, as a pastor in my time, I have already presided over more than 30 funeral services. I told you I had a lot of friends in the cemetery. And chances are, if I continue to pastor, there's going to be more. But as common as funerals are for us, funerals were not a part of God's original design. Death is an alien intruder into God's world. And I believe that our spirits and our eternal souls sense this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, there's this little verse that says, God has also set eternity in the heart of man. Eternity has been imprinted in our hearts and in our souls because they were not created to die, but to live forever. A number of years ago, Martin Bashir did an extended interview with Michael Jackson, the famous pop star. He followed Jackson around for a month or two. And one of the things that this documentary revealed was that Michael Michael Jackson had an obsession with aging and death. And this theme was striking in the strange place that he lived, which you've probably heard of, that he called Neverland. It was like a playground for children. And around the house, there were a number of statues of, of course, Peter Pan, the boy who didn't want to grow up. And so Bashir asked Jackson, why are you so focused on Peter Pan? And Jackson replied, I am Peter Pan. I never want to grow up. Then on one shopping trip, they arrived at a store that was full of expensive coffins. And so Bashir asked Jackson, do you want to be buried or cremated? To which Jackson replied, I don't want to die. I want to live forever. And yet we know that despite his own wishes and intentions, on June 25th of 2009, Michael Jackson, he too passed through this door. Now, we can easily write off MJ as crazy, but deep down, I suspect that we can all identify in some small way with that feeling that death just isn't right. It isn't natural. And the reason for that is simple. Mankind was not created to die. Adam and Eve were not created to die, but to live and fulfill God's assignment for them, life without end. We, too, were not created to die. We weren't created to live out this short, laborious life, age, get old, feel the pain, then die, become worm food, and finally have our bones inhabit a grave for eternity. In his classic work, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes this, So if I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So what if, rather than death being a final destination, it is nothing more than a passageway to another life? And this is, of course, what the Lord Jesus taught us, that on the other side of death's door lies two possible destinations. He taught us that on the other side was either eternal life or eternal death. There's either endless relationship with God in heaven or endless isolation alone in hell. Of course, the latter is what our sins deserve. As scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. And it is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. It even says that our acts of righteousness are like filthy rags before a perfect God. We can no more be good enough to enter heaven than Adam and Eve could be good enough by covering up what they had done in the garden with their improvised garments of leaves. You see, we all have this burden of sin upon us. Whether we think of it as big or as something small, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. As Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Do not be afraid then of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so now knowing all this, the doorway of death becomes even more ominous. For on the other side, rather than simply facing oblivion and nothingness, which is what many people hope is on the other side, you know, when I check out, that's it. I'll be gone. I won't have a conscious thought. But the Bible says very differently. There is eternity awaiting. There is not just oblivion. We will each face a perfect and holy God alone. We can't take our friends with us. We can't take our Sunday school teacher. We can't take our pastor. We can't take our kids. We go alone. And we will face God. And we will give an account for our lives, sin and all. But, facing this ominous prospect, what if, what if we had someone who could go through death's door for us? What if we had someone who could take what we deserve In our place, for us. What if? In the Metro West Daily News, they ran the story of a man named Bill Campbell. Bill was a World War II veteran. At the time of the story, he was an 18-year-old rifleman on a rescue mission to locate a man who was unlucky enough to step on a mine made of phosphorus. At that time, the Germans, once they noticed the Americans attempting to rescue the man... Putting the GI on a stretcher, they began to fire off mortar rounds in their direction. The first round missed. The second round was closer. The third round did not miss. It was a direct hit. Campbell felt an excruciating pain in his arm, and he saw pieces of flesh covered with blood. Thinking it his own, he screamed out, I'm hit! I'm hit! Immediately, they all hit the deck, and a medic climbed over him, checked him over, and then pointed to another soldier lying next to him, dead in the snow. It quickly dawned on Campbell that it was the unknown soldier next to him, whose blood he was covered with. And what was more, he knew that it should have been him. For you see, only moments before that third mortar had struck, Campbell's left arm had been hurting. And so the unknown soldier had volunteered to trade positions with Campbell to carry the stretcher for him. And Campbell said years later that he could never forget the face of the unfortunate man who died that day in his place. And he had thought to himself, but for the grace of God, it would have been me. Well, my friends, just like the unknown soldier who volunteered to trade places with Campbell... Jesus willingly traded places with us knowing what was about to happen. And like him, we are covered with Jesus' blood rather than our own. And so too, when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we can say, if it weren't for the grace of God, that would have been me. And it would have been exactly what I deserved. You see, Jesus picked up Our full burden of sin, he put it on his shoulders. And then he willingly walked through death's door for us. It looked like it was over, Jesus was dead. Death had claimed another, inescapable, irreversible, final. The disciples hid, the women wept. On Friday, Satan laughed. On Saturday, hell rejoiced. But on Sunday, something began to happen. The ground began to shake, the soldiers began to quake, and he that was dead began to wake. The grave could not hold him. Death could not keep him. The stone rolled away, and Jesus stepped forth into the day victorious. One man came back. Death could not keep him. The power of God was greater. And Jesus came back holding the keys of sin and death and Hades itself. Jesus is alive, my friends. He has done it. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. I want you to listen to the testimony of John from Revelation chapter 1 and verses 17 and 18. When he saw this vision of the resurrected Jesus... Well, on the Isle of Patmos. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand upon me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You see, Jesus has not only died and gone into the grave, But in doing so, he took back the keys of death and Hades. He unlocked the doorway to heaven so that now all who enter through that doorway of death with their faith in Jesus, their eternal soul will not enter hell but heaven. The curse of Adam has been reversed. Jesus has changed the final destination from eternal death to eternal life. Listen to the testimony of Peter. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because, listen to this, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Impossible. This is the power of God, my friends. Death is has had more power than every other man, woman, and child who's ever lived, but not this man. This man was, de- was different. Death could not hold him. Listen now to the testimony of Paul. He met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and so with certainty he says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, listen to this, in Christ all will be made alive. Each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now listen. Jesus was the first to go into the doorway of death and come back, but he is not the last. He is the first fruits of them who believe, but He is not the only one. He has gone before us, so now we can follow Him. You see, death is completely and utterly disarmed. And when we hide ourselves in Him, in His death, in His resurrection, when we hide ourselves in Him through faith, His death on the cross becomes our death, His burial in the grave becomes our burial. And yes, his resurrection becomes our resurrection. His life, our life, for eternity. Hear again the words of Paul. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah and amen. Let me ask you, is Jesus, is he your Lord and Savior today? Is he? You're allowed to say yes. Yes. (laughs) You're allowed to say amen. Amen. You know what? If Jesus is your Lord and Savior today, then thank Him. Praise Him. Give yourself fully to Him. Don't hold anything back. Because what did He hold back for you? Not one drop of blood. He gave it all. If He is your Lord, thank Him and give yourself completely to Him right now. If He's not, if He's not, just trust Him. That's all I can say Put your faith in him. He is a savior worthy of your trust. He did it all for you. He's ready to receive you. And finally, if he is your savior, if he has saved your soul and you know it today, you feel it in your spirit that you are alive in Christ, when you go out today, let me just encourage you, don't keep it to yourself. Be ready to tell others about what Jesus has done in you. I recently heard the story of a man named Chris who told of visiting his relatives. And one night, his family took him out to treat him to a special meal at the Texas Roadhouse restaurant. And sometime during the course of the evening, Chris got up, went to the men's room, and while he was there, quite unexpectedly, another man he'd never met before came into the restroom visibly upset and crying openly, sobbing even. And Chris was caught off guard. He was about to sneak past this guy, get out of there. What was going on with him? But he just felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit say, just ask the man what's wrong. And so with a small question, he asked him, what what happened? What's going on? And this distraught man just unloaded on him. His entire life story. He said that now he was at the restaurant with his family and close friends And they were all gathered there that day to celebrate his retirement at age 55 after a successful and lucrative career. But what his gathered family didn't know was that he had just been to see the doctor the day before. And his doctor had given him the news that he had discovered an aggressive cancerous mass at an advanced stage. Operation was not an option. And the doctor's final prognosis was that he had three months to live Tops. And so here he was, struggling with how to break the news to his family. To tell them that he was about to die. And so there he was in a men's restroom, weeping and in an utter despair, pouring out his sorrow to a perfect stranger. All the while out in the restaurant restaurant sat his loved ones, oblivious to the situation, visiting, laughing as they gathered to celebrate a happy occasion in his life. The golden years of his retirement all ahead of him. Needless to say, Chris was completely caught off guard. He didn't know what to say to this man. The questions ran through his mind. What do you tell someone who knows he's about to die? And a perfect stranger, no less. Should he say, I'm sorry? That's too bad they're there? Have you seen another doctor for a second opinion? What would you say if you were put in a similar situation? What would you say to that man? Any nice sounding words or platitudes are going to ring hollow. They're going to fall flat on the door, on the floor. Well, in that moment, Chris prayed for inspiration. He was a believer and he immediately knew, knew that what this man needed more than anything else was hope. A living hope that death was not the end. It was not the final verdict. And so praying for wisdom, Chris softly said to him, well, at least you have your faith. The man looked at him with a deer-in-the-headlights look. He didn't understand. Chris tried again. You know, the hope that we have in Jesus. The man responded with, I have no idea what you're talking about. As they talked a little more, it became obvious this man had never once been to church. He didn't know Jesus, and he didn't know anything about the Bible, or its promises at all. And now Chris was no preacher, but in a very basic way he explained to the man what Jesus had done for him, the way of salvation, how he could receive it for himself. And right then and there, in a men's bathroom, at the Texas Roadhouse Cafe, this man trusted Jesus as his saviour. And he was so excited, he then virtually dragged Chris over to the table where his family was seated, and after he had then unloaded to them of his impending death, he excitedly asked Chris to tell them what he just told him a few moments earlier. And so there was Chris, just a regular guy, not a preacher by any means, standing at a table in front of 12 shocked relatives, sharing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a crowded Texas Roadhouse Cafe. And all the tables around began listening to what was happening. And it opened a door, and many more in that family came to salvation in Jesus Christ that day. And Chris later said that while he'd already believed in Jesus' resurrection power before, it became very, very real to him that day. He hadn't been going there looking to make any converts to tell anyone about Jesus, but the opportunity was thrust upon him, and God used him to change a man from death to life in that very moment. Despair to a living hope that death is not the final verdict, but the doorway to life everlasting. And so, my friends, as we close here today, let me just say my deepest prayer Is that when we leave here today, Jesus' resurrection power and the reality of his life will be just a little bit more real for us when we leave than when we came in today. Because it will make all the difference in how we live. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, would the reality of your resurrection become even more clear to each one of us in this moment? We are not following after cleverly devised fables. We are not wishing upon a star that you're somehow alive out somewhere. No, we know and have assurance that you are alive. That your death, the perfect death, was for us, for me. That you went through death's door, just like every other man before you. But unlike every other man before you, you came back again. You came back with the power of Satan, sin, and hell disarmed. And so now life eternal is secured. And you've made it so simple for all of us. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is trust what you've already done. We don't have to add one thing to it. Your grace is perfect, and it is all sufficient for our every need. It is greater than our greatest sin. And so when we come to you and say, Jesus, I believe. I trust you. Cleanse me, forgive me, and make me God's child. You say yes every time. And the angels in heaven rejoice. And so, Lord, just as Chris was used by your Holy Spirit to lead other men to salvation, another family turned from despair to hope. I pray that we would be agents of this hope as well. That as we leave here today, you will maybe thrust opportunities like this upon us that we can tell others who don't yet know the good news, that you are alive and your life is for them. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross. We go in your name. Amen.